Good morning. It is um, it's difficult to shop for Mother's Day cards. If your mother doesn't live near you and you need to send her a card, you have to be ahead of the game. Or else she doesn't get it till Monday or Tuesday, and it's the thought that counts at that point, right? But sometimes the problem is you find a card, you send a card, or in my case this year, I'll admit to you, my wife found a card. I signed it, but she picked it out. But then you later find the perfect card, and you're like, oh, missed opportunities. Like the one that said on the front, it said, you know, dear mom, happy Mother's Day. Sorry for all the things that I did when I was a kid. And on the inside, it said, if it makes you feel any better, you only know about half of it. So <laughs> just throwing that out there. That card exists. That's a, real, that's a real card. Some of you may receive that today. Give that today. Listen, we understand, and I just want to make this clear out front. We understand that, that, that it is um, not necessarily a happy day for every single person when Mother's Day rolls around, that there are a lot of reasons and, and situations and, and specific relationships that, to you that, that maybe make this a less than happy day. And so we always wrestle with this when we try to decide how we want to talk about Mother's Day and whether we want to acknowledge it and how, 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 how much we want to acknowledge it during a church service on a Sunday morning. And so I want to share with you something I found this week. This is not original to me, but it, it's kind of titled, What If We Treated People This Way? on Mother's Day, and it, it kind of lays out some different people that might be in your life or situations you might even be in. And it's kind of a challenge to all of us, some things maybe we could do today and in the coming days. So what if we treated people this way on Mother's Day? For your single friend who desperately wants to be a wife and mother one day, the one who volunteers to babysit your kids so you can enjoy time with your husband, have your kids make her cards of encouragement and let her know that she's like another mom to them. For your friend struggling with infertility, acknowledge her pain, but don't pretend you can understand unless you've suffered the same. For your friend who suffered a miscarriage, acknowledge that she is indeed a mother. If she has both living and lost children, don't pretend the baby she carried never existed or that her grief isn't founded because it is. For the single mom, take her a meal, invite her to dinner with your family, volunteer to watch her kids. Acknowledge that she has an amazingly difficult job and that you are so proud of her. For the new mom, encourage her that these late nights and early mornings won't last forever, even if it seems like they might, and that being a mom can be the best job in the world. For the mama with little ones, especially if they have two or three kids in diapers at the same time, acknowledge that her job is hard but meaningful, and even if she doubts it, let her know that it's totally worth it. For the mom who has lost a child, give her a hug, send her a card, shoot her a Facebook message, something to acknowledge that you understand that this day must truly be bittersweet. And really the same thing goes for a child who's lost their mother. Acknowledge that this day must truly be bittersweet. For a mother with a wayward child or even a child with a wayward mother, even if it seems like there's nothing else to do but pray. Remind them that prayer is an awfully powerful thing and that God hears our prayers. And for your mama, if you're lucky enough to still have her around, give her a call, give her a hug, give her a round of applause, whatever it takes, because she deserves it on this day and every day. So we wanted to just kind of acknowledge that as we begin. And so we, we do want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. It's one of those awkward things where people, you, you know, I, and that's happened already this morning where I say happy Mother's Day, and 
to a, a lady, and, and she looks back at me and begins to say, you too, which <laughs> doesn't work, okay? It's always, I've gotten a lot of, I'll get you on Father's Day. I'm like, okay, sounds good. I saw somewhere a, uh, a job description for mothers. It went a little something like this. It says, this is a permanent job. The successful applicant must be prepared to work hard. The workplace is often a challenging and chaotic environment. Applicants must possess excellent communication and organizational skills and be willing to work variable hours, which will include evenings and weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Extensive chauffeuring duties also required, but your travel expenses will not usually be reimbursed. Not usually, how about never? Some overnight travel will be required, including trips to camping sites on rainy weekends and countless sports tournaments in faraway places. Must be willing to be hated, at least temporarily, until someone needs $5. (laughs) Must be willing to bite tongue repeatedly. Must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from 0 to 60 miles per hour in 3 seconds flat in case this time the screams from the backyard are genuine and not just someone crying wolf or playing. Must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair, mysteriously sluggish toilets, and stuck zippers. Must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, and coordinate production of multiple homework projects. Must have the ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages and outlooks. Must be willing to be indispensable one minute and an embarrassment the next. That's why we brought the teenagers in for the service this morning. At some point, your parents will probably get to embarrass you. You never know. Health and safety must be able to handle the assembly and product safety testing of hundreds of toys and battery-operated devices. Attitude and demeanor must always hope for the best but be prepared for the worst. Must assume final complete accountability for the quality of the end product. Responsibilities also include floor maintenance, laundering, and janitorial work throughout the place of employment. Promotion prospects, none. Your job is to remain in the same position for years without complaining, constantly retraining and updating your skills so that those in your charge can ultimately surpass you. Previous experience, none required because no other form of employment is totally relevant, but on-the-job in-service training is offered on a continually exhausting basis. Wages and bonuses, none. Job satisfaction is what you hopefully receive. Outlays. You pay every bill for your child, at least until they turn 18, because of the assumption that college will help them become financially independent. When you die, you give them whatever is left. The strangest thing about this reverse salary scheme is that you should enjoy it and wish you could only do more. Benefits. While no health or dental insurance, no pension, no tuition reimbursement, no paid holidays, and no bonuses are offered, this job supplies limitless opportunities for free hugs for life if you play your cards right. Tenure for the rest of your life. Now, obviously, some of that is is tongue-in-cheek. Some of you mothers would say, that's that's pretty spot-on. That's that's pretty correct. And if you've got a kid sitting next to you, you could take one of those hugs right now if you wanted to um, because you're mom and it's Mother's Day, and if you want a hug, you get a hug. But uh, we don't often get an accurate view of our own mothers until we're parents ourselves. I, I look back on some of the things I expected of my own mother, some of the things I took for granted, and it, it frustrates me that I couldn't see how off base I often was. Uh, my mom worked full, I mean, both my parents did, but my mom worked full time uh, for my growing up years. And at one point in elementary school, my mom decided to set aside some money um, to pay someone to come in and clean our house once a week. And I didn't get it on multiple levels. Uh, first of all, I thought that was her job. Uh, 
Somebody wants to smack me, I'm sure. But uh, apparently working full-time and taking care of us wasn't enough. In my, and I'm tell, I was elementary school, so give me a little bit of a, a break here. But working full-time and taking care of us wasn't enough. I didn't understand. Why would you pay somebody to do that? And secondly, I also thought it meant that this lady that we were hiring to clean was going to pick up after me, which was the dream, right? Like, so when it was made clear to me that every week we were going to clean the house in preparation for the cleaning lady to come, I got so confused. Now I understand that hiring someone to clean wasn't about mom being lazy or not wanting to clean, and now I understand that hiring someone to clean meant that they were going to do some of the like, bigger tasks like sweeping, mopping, and windows, not picking up my toys and dirty clothes. See, sometimes we don't understand our parents until we're in their shoes, but interestingly enough, I think we as parents don't have to wait until our kids are older to get an accurate view of them. I think we as parents are often gifted with the ability to see the potential in our kids, and not just the ability to see the potential, but the confidence that they will reach that potential. That being said, in the time between when you see that potential and they reach the potential, there will be times when kids frustrate their parents and when parents frustrate their kids. And so I want us to look in depth at a story today that involves Jesus and his mother. And the scriptures we'll be using are in your bulletin in the insert, and they'll also be on the screen. So we encourage you to follow along, but our main passage, our story today, is found in Luke chapter 2. And we'll begin in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Now, for the sake of clarity, what are we talking about when we say the Passover festival? Well, it's described in Deuteronomy chapter, one, chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, in honor of the Lord your God, Celebrate the Passover each year in the early spring, in the month of Abib, for that was, when, uh, that was the month in which the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Your Passover sacrifice may be from either the flock or the herd, and it must be sacrificed to the Lord your God at the designated place of worship, the place he chooses for his name to be honored. Eat it with bread made without yeast. For seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast, as when you escape from Egypt in such a hurry. Eat this bread, the bread of suffering, so that as long as you live, you will remember the day you departed from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in any house throughout your land for those seven days. And when you sacrifice the Passover lamb on the evening of the first day, do not let any of the meat remain until the next morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover in just any of the towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but you must offer it only at the designated place of worship. That's important to this idea. The place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Sacrifice it there in the evening as the sun goes down, on the anniversary of your exodus from Egypt. So this was an every year trip for at least the men of each Jewish family in this culture. When the family duties permitted it, devout women also went along. And so in some cases, it was the whole family. And at this age, 12, Jesus was taken along for the first time. As a Jewish boy, he was seen as a son of the law, um, which basically means he would be put through a course of instruction and trained on fasting and public worship attendance. Basically, when it comes to, to your relationship with the temple, Jesus, here's what you do. Here are the rules. Here's how it goes. Here's the process. The first trip to Jerusalem was important for any Jewish boy, but Jesus coming to his father's house for the first time was an even bigger deal. I mean, the temple in Jerusalem, this was God's house, a holy dwelling place. David wrote about it in the Psalms this way, in Psalm chapter 26, verse 8. He said, I love your sanctuary, O Lord, the place where your glorious presence 
dwells. And you and I, we can try to imagine Jesus who knew the Father because he and the Father were one, sitting among these other Jewish boys who couldn't begin to understand what Jesus already understood about God the Father. It had to be an amazing situation for him, and probably occasionally frustrating that these Jewish boys didn't understand the things that he understood, but like all festivals, all holidays, all trips, it had to come to an end eventually. It's kind of like Christmas for us. Most of us get at least a day off, maybe two, and those days feel amazing, and they go really fast, but you really want them to slow down. You're like, this is just nice, but just like work gives way to a day or two like that sometimes, that day or two gives way to, to more work, and in this case, the this holiday, this worship time gave way to, to life, the duties of life, and it was time for them to go home. In verse 43, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, before I talk about the specifics of what's happening here, I, I just have to tell you something. For the longest time, when reading or hearing this story, my thoughts have always gone directly to the movie Home Alone, and really directly to one scene. Now, if you're not familiar, if you haven't seen Home Alone, uh, Kevin McAllister is part of a large family, and as they prepare to go on vacation around Christmas time, in their rush to get to the airport on time, they have a power outage. The weather must have been a little like it was in the night. Um, and they're late, and they end up hustling, and they get in these vans that drive them to the airport, and they go to the airport, and they run through the airport, and they get on the plane, and it's not until they're in the air that they realize that they have left Kevin behind. Through a series of events, including weather and the time of year and the, the crowded airports, it takes more time than it should for Kevin's mom to get home. Even more so, it takes more creativity than it should for her to get home, and she ends up riding in the back of a box truck with a polka band. And she has this conversation with John Candy, who plays the leader of this band. And this is what I think of every time I hear this story. I want to show you the clip. And actually, the best slide of there might be the one that you almost can't hear, where he says, I was just trying to cheer you up. <laughs> I am probably extra careful when I take my kids to a funeral home because of that scene. But see, here's the thing. We probably think a certain way. I'm guessing we think, man, if I ever left my kids somewhere, I could never forgive myself. Or we say, I could never leave my kids somewhere. It, it just could never happen. And I don't think it's that we're arrogant. I don't think it's that we're overconfident. I think we just assume it would be entirely too noticeable to us if one of our kids was suddenly gone. That's why we have to understand a little bit more about the context of this situation in Scripture. On, on journeys like this to Jerusalem, entire families and even entire villages would have traveled together, partly for protection, partly for conversation, for company. So for Jesus to not be right with his parents for the trip wouldn't be outside of the normal. Imagine you and, and if you've got siblings and, and they've got kids, imagine several families uh, kind of carpooling in three or four cars on vacation. As soon as it's known that that's happening, the kids and all of those families are going to scheme to figure out who can sit with who, right? Like, I want to ride with the fun people, you know, people with the good music or the people with the little TVs mounted in the back of the seats, Right? That's the, we want to ride together. And it was no different back then. The kids would have walked together and had fun together and played off to the side together. And I can imagine them running ahead a little ways and getting left behind a little bit. I'm sure that they were together. And, and so there are plenty of adults around. Okay, somebody's keeping an eye on these kids. And so in this situation, it was just assumed that Jesus was there somewhere and it was okay. 
But when they got home and he wasn't there, they checked in with the people they had traveled with and, and he still wasn't there. And that's when the worry truly began. You see, even though he was Jesus, he was still their son. And while 12 is just short of becoming a man in that culture, he was still a child. Verse 45, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. See, three days later, I'm a parent, and and cultural differences are not, I'd be freaking out after three hours. And I get it, it, it's Jesus, but it's been days. And yet here he sits among the religious teachers, engaging in a a common teaching and learning style of asking and answering questions. And here's the thing, it's not like Jesus was sitting around the house at home showing this amazing understanding. It it was there, it was in him, but he was still so young, it was unexpected. He was probably beginning to learn the trade of his earthly father at home. He was actually probably learning carpentry already. But in this moment, he impresses all who hear him by his understanding of the religious teachings and the depth of his questions and answers. Verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Moms, right? That's a pretty standard response. Some of you, like, I'd be a little more harsh than that. And don't misunderstand here. Jesus is being rebuked by his mother. There is no doubt about that. I mean, this is pretty close to what most mothers would say. And I don't even necessarily think she's mad here as much as relieved because she was so worried. It is really hard as kids to tell the difference sometimes. You know, when our kid does something wrong, but it puts them in danger. When they're no longer in danger, we may look mad, but we're relieved. We're thankful. And I'm sure Jesus is not quite sure what she's got going on here. You know, she's very upset, but they're relieved In this particular case, Mary's reaction is purely toward Jesus as her fully human son, which in truth makes it slightly misplaced. And Jesus responds to that effect in verse 49. But why did you need to search, he asked? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Some versions of scripture read, didn't you realize that I should be involved in my father's affairs? And don't miss the contrast here. Mary said just a moment ago, your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Your father. She's talking about Joseph, his earthly father. And yet Jesus says, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Even at 12 years old, Jesus was aware of his unique relationship to God, even if Mary and Joseph didn't yet understand it. In fact, in verse 50, we read that very thing, but they didn't understand what he meant. And we, I, I, I don't want us to, to, to suggest that, that we should fault them for not fully understanding Jesus yet. We shouldn't fault them for that because this was crazy. Like Mary was his mother, but God was his father. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. And at 12 years old, he speaks like a much older man of God and understands much beyond his age. I mean, on some level, on some level, wasn't Jesus at least sort of returning the rebuke his mother gave him? I would suggest that in some contexts, in some family relationships, that even him questioning their search would have gotten him in trouble. But it wasn't a snarky response like many of us would have given. It was the beginning of Jesus showing his parents that he was no ordinary child with no ordinary purpose. 
And yet, even in the midst of knowing his place and purpose in this world, he was still obedient to his earthly parents. Verse 51. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. You see, obedience, a child's obedience, especially at this age, was seen as probably the best expression of honoring one's parents, which was commanded in Scripture. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You see, Jesus had this seemingly unique task of honoring God his father, while at the same time honoring his earthly parents, because that same God the Father had commanded it. And that's still our task today, is to honor God the Father and his commands, which include honoring our parents. And so Jesus returned to Nazareth and continued to honor them. Now, something I find interesting is as we read there that Mary stored all these things in her heart. That isn't the first time we've seen that idea expressed. Shortly after the birth of Jesus, as the shepherds came and worshipped the newborn king, as the story of Jesus' birth is essentially finished up in Luke's account, we read this in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Now, you might wonder what that means. I know that I did, and I'm still not exactly sure. But here's where I ended up with this idea. Mary had a lot to take in in both of those situations. After all the craziness of finding out that she was pregnant even though she was a virgin and Joseph staying with her and traveling to Bethlehem and finding nowhere to stay and giving birth to the Savior of the world, the Son of God, sometimes even if you don't understand what's going on, you still need to treasure those moments and hold to your faith in God. And again, after the situation where Jesus stays at the temple, it's the beginning of a new understanding of Jesus as not just her son, but as the Son of God. And it's not something she's fully understanding yet and may never fully understand, but she holds these moments close and holds to her faith in God and his plan. In verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. See, verse 52, as far as this account goes, is all we really know about the next 18 or so years of Jesus' life, that this temple experience was the beginning of his growth in wisdom and stature, preparing him for his ministry. Now, it's likely that you've heard this story before, and, and I hope that, that it's been healthy to take another look at it. But, but today, this day, this Mother's Day even, is there something practical in this story that we can walk away with? I, th I think there is. I think there is. And I think it's found in that idea that Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. And this lesson, if we can learn it, it's not just for the mothers in the room, although it'll be useful for them, and it's not even just for the mothers and fathers in this room, although again, it'd be useful for them. In truth, this is something we could all stand to learn. You see, in this life, regularly, too often, in fact, some of us, we face situations that we simply don't understand. Sometimes there's situations that we see, see coming. Sometimes we know it's coming. We know that something's going to happen, but that doesn't mean that we understand why. 
Sometimes those situations come suddenly without warning and we don't understand them. Things happen to us that make no sense or that don't seem fair, really for the good or for the bad. Doors open for us that just don't make sense. Doors close for us that we never imagined could close. Relationships form that never should have formed based on any level of logic. Relationships end that we could never imagine no longer existing. Our lives change for the better. Our lives change for the worse. And those things often happen with seemingly no explanation. And facing those kinds of situations, we all react differently. We might try to undo what's happened. We might search endlessly for the explanation as to why. We might fight back against God because of what's happened. We might turn away from God because of what's happened. We might not give God credit when that's where credit is due. We might fall into a depression. We might be walking on air. But sometimes, all the time if it's possible, when life throws us something that we simply don't understand, one of the best things that we can do is to take a page out of Mary's book, to follow her example, and to keep all of these things in our hearts and think about them often, to take the moments, the good and the bad, the things we don't understand, and to hold them close. And to not just hold them close, but to also hold God close, to hold to our trust in His plan. You see, if we can get to the point where we truly trust God and His plan, if we can truly get to the point where we believe wholeheartedly that God's ways are higher and His thoughts are higher than our ways or thoughts, then by trusting in Him, I truly believe that we can walk through anything this life has to throw at us. And see, Mary understood that. Mary understood that. Mary had a lot of stuff going on that made no sense. And yet she didn't stop trusting that it was all part of God's plan. She didn't stop believing that God would work through it. When the angel appeared to Mary to tell her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, it had to be overwhelming. And yet, here's what Mary said at the end of that exchange with an angel of God in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. In the midst of overwhelming information, here's what you're going to do, Mary. That's crazy. She basically said, God... Let your will be done in my life. I'm willing to play whatever role you have for me. And that role didn't get any less complicated as Jesus grew up, and yet she was still willing to hold to her faith that this was God's plan. We need to get to the point where we can make that kind of a statement to God, where we say, God, whatever life throws at me, Whatever purpose you have for me in this life, let your will be done and may uh, let me be your willing servant. So often we want to be the ones that, that, that make the decisions. We want to have the answers. We want to figure things out. There will be times in this life where the best answer we can give is, God, I trust you. And I get it. We struggle 
with trust. And, and some of you in this room, you would say, listen, I've given a lot of people over the years my trust, and pretty much all of them have broken it. And the idea of putting trust even in the God of the universe is terrifying. Say what, it, it's likely that every person at some point will let you down, but God never will. Trust in his plan. Because he's faithful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for leading us and guiding us through this life. And I pray that we will rely on you more and more. And I pray that, that we could place our trust firmly in you. God, when people let us down, even when we let ourselves down, help us to remember in those moments that you never have and you never will. When life throws stuff at us that's confusing, that's hard to understand, help us to lean into you in that trust. God, we're thankful for, for the examples of people in Scripture who've shown us through their stories what it looks like to trust you and that it's worth the effort to put our trust in you. That help us to know we're not walking through this life alone, but you're with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing another song together and we're going to prepare our hearts for communion during this time, but we also want to offer you an invitation. And these invitations are always open. We'd be happy to talk to you about these anytime, but if you've never publicly expressed your belief in Jesus Christ and been baptized into him, that's something we'd love to talk to you about sometime. Um, if you're ready to make that decision, we, we, we would be thrilled to have that conversation with you. If you have made that decision at some point in your life, but there's been some distance, maybe you've, you've lost trust with God along the way, there's always an opportunity to come back, to come home. And that invitation is open for sure. And if you've been around for a while and you feel like, you know, I'd like to be a part of this family. First of all, if you're here, we consider you a part of the family, but we'd love for you to make that official and, and join the fellowship here at New Life. So that invitation is always open as well. But we invite you to, to make any of those decisions as we stand and sing our song of invitation together.